0: All right. Welcome back. Come on in, and um, we're gonna we're gonna get started. Glad that you're here. Like to take a moment, pray. I took some great notes on Stephanie's session, and I just want to recap some of the really, really good stuff. I One of, I think, the the bombs that you dropped, Stephanie, is gifts don't make you anything. Love makes you something. Yeah, I just thought that was so good. And when I was looking, you, you mentioned kind of in passing the story in Zechariah where where the angel says, you know, put a clean garment on him, and then Zechariah contributes, and put a clean turban on his head, and I was like, that is so cool, because I'd never noticed before that the angel kind of declares the word of the Lord, and then also Zechariah gets to contribute and participate, and I just think that's such a cool picture of how God partners with us in the supernatural, so those were two of my highlights from the last session. So uh, I wanted to make sure that everybody here got a word before you left. Amen? You guys down for that? Okay, now you're going to give them to each other. So (laughs) everybody still excited? All right, good. So we're going to do just the briefest of exercises, okay? And it's just an act of prophetic blessing. That's what I like to call this exercise, and it's so simple. When we train our people in the prophecy rooms, we have prophecy rooms over at Newbridge Church before our evening service every week. Stephanie leads those, and if you've never been to those, you you go in and you have a, a, a brief uh, appointment, about ten minutes, in which people will speak the word over you, speak prophetic impressions. Um, this training will help you get connected to that. If that's a place where you want to serve and grow in the prophetic, I'll talk more about that later, and maybe Stephanie can give a come back up and give a plug for connecting to our prophecy rooms, but. What I wanted to tie that into was if you've never given a prophetic word, or maybe some of you have never even received a prophetic word, don't freak out right now. We're going to just make it really simple. And what we train people to do in our prophecy rooms is we always prophesy with our Bible in our hand, right? And what we're going to do is we're going to ask the Lord for, uh, and, and it may be a verse you're familiar with. It may be your favorite verse. We're going to actually trust God to to do more of the prophetic side of this. We're just going to follow that subtle impression of the Holy Spirit to to uh, m- make a Bible verse uh, clear to us and our hearts will pray and then we want to take that verse and and we want it to be an encouraging verse, an edifying verse, a verse of blessing okay and then we're going to find one or two or maybe three people as many as you can in the little time frame I'm going to give you here in a moment and we want you to go up to them. And we're not gonna we're not gonna say thus saith the Lord or anything like that. What we're gonna do is we're just gonna say, okay, can I bless you real quick with my verse? And my verse is Ephesians one seventeen that the spirit of wisdom and revelation, the knowledge of Him, with the the light of the spirit of revelation would flood the eyes of your heart, and you'd have understanding. I bless you with that, Gabe, in Jesus' name, that your the eyes of your heart would be flooded with light. So it's just a prayer of blessing. But we're gonna see how God makes it prophetic, because what I what I imagine is going to happen is that some of you are going to find that the Bible verse you read this morning is the verse that somebody blesses you with. Some of you are going to find the very, the very blessing that you needed today is going to come through uh, the person that just approaches you. So I'm going to pray for God to do that, and then we're going to listen for a moment, and then you're going to pick out a, a verse, and we're going to bless two or three folks around us with that verse. Does that make sense? Does that feel like something everybody can do? Okay, let's have 100% participation and let's all receive. It's so amazing how the atmosphere just opens up when we all begin to bless each other with our mouths. You know, Stephanie highlighted how God created everything in the beginning with his words, right? And when we begin to speak blessing out of our mouths, it releases that same creative power because we're made in God's image. So, Father, I thank you. The very first act in creation was that you made man and woman and you breathed life into us. You made us in your image and then it says you blessed us. So we, in your image, as your image bears, we're going to take a moment, we're going to take our mouths, and we're going to intentionally use your word, the same word that is framed all of the created order, and we're going to take a moment and we're going to bless our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to bless one another, and we're going to feel that strengthening that comes when we speak your word over one another. So we just believe that, and we ask you to speak now in Jesus' name. I got mine, and so if you need a moment longer, you can keep sitting and listening, but let's go ahead, and do most people have theirs? You can look up at me if you have yours. You can look away if you don't. Okay, good. So let's go ahead, and we'll just rise to our feet, and just see who maybe is highlighted to you to release your blessing to, and let's go and bless two or three people. If you don't know what to bless somebody with, feel free to just Google Blessing. In the absence of Holy Spirit instruction, I always defer to Google. Right. Wrap up the person that you're with. If you haven't yet given or gotten a word, you can try and unload your word during the break. So I got kind of a fun prophetic word and something that uh, that always encourages me, you know, the Bible says to receive the kingdom of God, we have to make ourselves like little children. And sometimes God is just silly. Sometimes he's just kind of fun with things. And I felt like he just said Psalm 123, and he said, um, if you do this, it'll be as easy as one, two, three. And Psalm 123 says, I lift up my eyes to you, to you sit enthroned in the heavens. As the eyes of a servant looks to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a servant, female servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he shows us his mercy. If you'll lift your eyes up to the Lord, it'll just be as easy as one, two, three. Amen. Easy as one, two, three. A B C. One, two, three. You and me, Lord. Okay. Yep. Yeah. All right. Good, so you can open your notes. Let me put Stephanie's down so I don't get confused. So I'm going to try and weave stories into these notes because I feel like a lot of times I forget just how um, learning to hear God's voice over time has been uh, such a blessing in my life. And I think a lot of times we're as instructed by stories that illustrate. A lot of times I cannot remember a person's point, but I'll remember a story. So I'll try and weave some of those in um, the best that I can with the time that we have. So there's basically three points that I wanted to highlight in this seminar. This is actually a teaching that I did four years ago, um, but I felt the Lord highlighting it and bringing it back up. And and I feel like there'll be an incredible value in kind of these three principles. Stephanie covered so competently abiding in intimacy already, the idea of everything having to be done from the place of love. I'll only give a few expository thoughts on that um, and then spend the majority of our time on the idea of embracing mystery and staying hungry. Because I feel like those two things are really key. And also those are the reasons why what many of you are going to begin in this journey of listening to God today um, and those that are more seasoned understand this. It's exciting at first, but over time, that zeal that you had at the beginning to hear God's voice and lean into it, we lose that zeal over time, and I believe a lot of it is connected to the difficulty we have with mystery, okay, and also how, um, how we'll lose touch with, with intimacy, and then this idea that we always have to be posturing our hearts in hunger, and hunger is never something that we graduate from. And then in each section, we'll just take a few minutes and talk about uh, purely practical ideas. First, I do want to see just a quick show of hands. Who felt like the blessing that they got had some prophetic oil on it for them? <laughs> wow, that's awesome. That's awesome. Praise God. So good. We're prophesying already. I, I don't even have to teach you guys. Let's just, do the, let's just do another exercise. I'll give you some notes to enhance uh, the, the thoughts I think will enhance our use of the gift. Um, and so let's go ahead, let's jump into abiding intimacy. So in John 5, Jesus, and what's interesting about these notes is they apply to prophecy, but you could really apply these things really broadly to any of the gifts of the Spirit, um, and so a lot of the, the, uh, the context of these notes was I was applying them generally to growing in the gifts of the Spirit. Um, I'll give examples from, from my experience with prophecy, but in John 5, Jesus heals a paralytic on the Sabbath, and it really ticks the Pharisees off, and it makes them so mad that they they decide we are going to kill him because he has done the works of God on the Sabbath. And uh, in response to their criticism, Jesus gives them a precious insight into operating the gifts. Jesus is so kind. He, the very people that are going, we have a murderous intention towards you because of the ways in which we, we feel like. Um, You're misleading people, and Jesus goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to give you a precious insight into how the kingdom of God works. I love how often, like that's such a picture, it's a a side note, but how redemptive is God that so oftentimes we're teaching things that originally taught to people that intended to murder Jesus, right? Like the first people this this instruction was given to, their intention was to do him harm, and it's now been instructed instruction that's passed down through the ages, precious words of wisdom from the Son of God to those who love him. I just love that. Like, that's just so awesome. That's so Jesus. So he says, John 5, 19, Jesus answered them and said, most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the Father do. And what I want to say to us very plainly to hear, we may know it rationally, but we have to embrace this idea in our hearts. If Jesus could do nothing without seeing the Father do it, how much can you do without seeing the Father do it? Like if the Son of God in the flesh incarnate could do nothing without the authorization of the Father, the impression, the leading of the Father, what can we do that is fruitful apart from him? Our lean shouldn't be, I mean, we should desire the miraculous desire to prophesy. I feel like Stephanie handled that also very astutely, right? But our pathway to the miracle, okay, is not let's, let's see what the need is and then based on the need, let's try and meet the need supernaturally. It's to lean into what is the Father doing, what is the Father saying, Right. Not necessarily that it's bad, because sometimes the need speaks to us and we're moved by compassion. We're moved by the difficulty of the circumstance. But you are not going to be able to solve a problem directly without first taking a detour to the throne of God. (laughs) Otherwise, there's there's no power. Right. And the ultimate place to live is as a gravy boat. I Just want you to picture that someone very early on in prophetic teaching said we want to be. She was kind of a southern lady. She said, we want to be a gravy boat. (laughs) We want the Lord to pour the gravy in on the backside, and we pour it out the front side. And I just love that picture of a porcelain gravy boat, you know. And people talk about, like, we want to be a pipe or a conduit, but I like a gravy boat. Because are you going to eat out of a dirty gravy boat? No, you got to keep that gravy boat clean. You got to keep that crud out of the gravy boat, right? So, Lord, let's just all pray. Lord, make me your gravy boat. So Peter, yeah, I felt the Lord on that. I. Peter later summarizes the ministry of Jesus. He's at Cornelius' house and describes the power Jesus moved in to heal the sick and deliver the oppressed. This was the Gentile Pentecost. We'll come back to this story later. But in Acts 10.36, he basically, in, in a couple sentences, summarizes the ministry of Jesus, and he's describing it to the Gentiles. He says, the word which God sent to the children of Israel, preaching peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. That word you know which was proclaimed throughout all Judea and began from Galilee after the baptism which John preached. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. And he went about doing good, healing all who were oppressed by the devil. And God was with him. Going back to the same idea as John 5, Peter's just saying it in a different way. How did Jesus do any good? It was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus heal any person? It was the anointing of the Holy Spirit. How did Jesus deliver any person that was oppressed? It was the anointing of the Holy Spirit spirit there's a very famous story about this verse john g lake he had many different family members die of illnesses he's one of the greatest healing evangelists ever in history and he was wrestling with trying to understand whether it was god's will truly to heal he had a family member who was on their deathbed and he goes downstairs and in frustration throws open his bible seeking god for clarity is it your will to heal and his bible falls open to this verse and he reads it and it says that god anointed jesus of nazareth to heal all those oppressed by the devil. And he said, if sickness is an oppression of the devil, then it's not God's will for my family member. And that was sufficient, that provided sufficient faith to him, and it came as a flash of revelation. What I want to stress to us is this idea that it is the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit that provides the power. And honestly, I would say as much as it's true that we should desire earnestly the spiritual gifts that we would prophesy, they are the gifts of a person. And in this teaching, I'm going to stress that person. They are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. You know, the book of Acts, is uh, the full title is the Acts of the Apostles, right? But I've heard it said before, it really should have been titled the Acts of the Holy Spirit. And so I believe as we grow in fellowship with the Holy Spirit, we're going to increase in his gifts. And that's the message fundamentally of intimacy. In the Upper Room Discourse, Jesus' final instruction before he goes to the cross, he calls his disciples the same intimacy that fueled the power of his Ministry, John 14, 12. He says, the the works that I will do, greater works than these you will do because I go to my Father. And we love that verse, don't we? It is a promise. And you know what? It's amazing because we even see it fulfilled in the book of Acts. It says, it never said anywhere else in the scripture that aprons and handkerchiefs taken from Jesus' body healed the sick. But yet that happens in Paul's ministry, right? Right? So we see it happening in the book of Acts. We see the same miraculous works of Jesus have been present in the church throughout the generations. But what's remarkable is he gives the insight two verses later how the greater works are going to be accomplished. He's going to give you the helper. And In my Bible and in my translation, that's a capital H. It's his name, the helper, that he may abide with you forever. So we're only going to do the greater works if we have the same one that empowered Jesus, resting on us, dwelling in us, fellowshipping with us. And the more closely you walk with Holy Spirit as a friend and a helper, that's how you're going to do the ministry of Jesus. That's how we're going to prophesy, right? It says the spirit of prophecy in the book of Revelation is the testimony of Jesus, right? The spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus. Who is the spirit of prophecy? Holy Spirit is this. There's only one spirit. That's all, you know, Paul is explaining in 1 Corinthians 12. He has to explain to these pagans that are accustomed to worshiping a pantheon of gods. He's having having to explain, no, there's not like a separate spirit of healing and a separate spirit of prophecy. And it's like you have two different spirits that are influencing you. He goes, there's just one spirit. It's the Holy Spirit, and when you've received Christ, you receive the Holy Spirit, and so there are many gifts, many varied manifestations, but only one spirit, right? And so we have his different names, the Comforter, the Helper, the Spirit of Revelation, the Spirit of Wisdom, the Spirit of Power, the Spirit of Might, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord. He has many different titles, many different names that describe his function, but there is only one blessed Holy Spirit, hallelujah. And that same spirit is the same one that's burning before the throne of God right now, He's the same spirit that was in the burning bush of Moses, and he's the same spirit that burns inside of you. The same spirit that fell at Pentecost is the same spirit that, it's not like a, you didn't get a different version, you know. <laughs> we got the same, the one that <laughs> f- f- fell in the upper room of Pentecost, right? When you read that story, just go, yeah, he's inside of you. He's actually in this room right now with us. He's very happy about when we talk affirmingly about him. You know, it's so funny because it's like he's the one that allows us to encourage others. Like, he is the most encouraging person, the person of the Holy Spirit. He's really encouraging. Bless the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. We should all talk to the Holy Spirit more. I grew up m- more in a church that was like Father, Son, and Holy Bible, you know. And even though I love the Word of God, he's not the third person of the Trinity. <laughs> he, he inspired the Word of God. He inspired the Bible, um he speaks to us it's it's like his native tongue is bible you know it's the language he speaks um but he is a he is a person uh peter paul john mary not the band but you know the the originals they uh they didn't have the scripture as we have the scripture they were busy letting the Holy Spirit write the scripture through them amen good John 15, 5, he abides in me and I in him. He bears much fruit. Without me, you can do nothing. So Jesus said, well, the Father, Father's instruction, I can do nothing. Without without the uh, Holy Spirit, Jesus says, you can do nothing. Abide in him. So just look at somebody right now. Just tell them it's so encouraging. You can do nothing. You're a do-nothing. Just, I mean that in a very positive way. Humility is to have a right view of ourselves, right? And when we start to see ourselves as in and of ourselves, we're a do-nothing, right? We're actually going to be able to have God do something through us, right? So say you're a do-nothing, but God's going to do something through you. Hallelujah. All right. So in his instruction to the Corinthians of spiritual gifts, Paul puts the same priority on intimacy, describing a heart full of love towards God as the most excellent way. Stephanie covered this so beautifully. He says, 1 Corinthians 12, 31, earnestly desire the best gifts, yet I'll show you a more excellent way, right? Do you want to walk in any kind of inferior way? Because anytime you choose any other way but the way of love, it's an inferior way. There's only one most excellent way. And I don't have time to break it down completely right now, but I don't think Paul was talking in hyperbole when he said, you know, if I give my body to be burned, like Stephanie mentioned, I give my body to be burned, um, but I have not love in my heart, I, I am nothing, I have nothing, right? There are lots of people that are fanatical about their religion, whether it's uh, Islam or Buddhism, that will literally uh, em- emolliate themselves. They'll, they'll set themselves on fire in zeal, but they receive no reward for their zeal because it's misplaced. And love is the only properly placed zeal. And if you are zealous for love, all the rest of your life will fall into balance. And God will be able to entrust you with things because he can give powerful things to people who use those powerful things for the purpose of love. So, again, pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And you know why I think, and it was exactly what Stephanie said earlier, why prophecy is the most valuable or important gift is because an edified body will flow in all the other gifts. Okay? So if we edify the body in love and in prophetic encouragement, then the body will be strong to do the other works of God. So he's saying, desire earnestly that you prophesy, because when you prophesy, you build up the church. He actually identifies two gifts as the gifts that are primarily for the purpose of edification. Gift of tongues is for, for those who know, so you might know, it's for personal edification. It says a man who prays in a tongue edifies himself, right? And prophecy is for corporate edification. We just edified one another with our prophetic blessings, right? How many sensed that, that f- sensation of being built up in your inner person as the person prophesied over you, right? When that happens, okay, that is a strengthening of your spirit man or your inner man. Ephesians 3 says, Paul prays that you'll be strengthened with might through the spirit in your inner man. The spirit of God can actually strengthen the human spirit to do the will of God. And when we prophesy, when we speak God's will to each other under the anointing of the Holy Spirit, we build each other up to do God's will. When we pray in mysteries and speak in tongues, we edify ourselves to do God's will. And so when Pentecost is poured out or when the Gentile Pentecost occurs, the two gifts that manifest, tongues and prophecy. Because God is concerned about the edification of the church. Both the personal edification of those who shun la bahaba and those who speak prophetically to one another. And if you don't have your prayer language yet, we would love to pray for you today during our ministry time. Because it's a powerful gift uh, to be able to edify yourself in a tongue. So let's jump into the practical for a moment. So I said something, some variation of this earlier. You'll only walk... In the Spirit, as much as you talk to the Holy Spirit, asking throughout your day, "What are you saying, Holy Spirit? What are you doing?" is a simple way to attune yourself to His activity and make yourself available to be used by Him. And you know how sometimes you're studying something, and then someone will, in a conversation, remind you of the very thing that you're getting ready to teach or to share. And um, I was having lunch with Billy, our director, uh, this week, and he said to me, "He said, I've been. I feel like my uh, intuition." has been uh, growing, it's been it's becoming more precise because I've just been asking more frequently, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? He said, just in this season right now, I just feel like I'm asking, and I was I was just reminded of this again when I was reading through. I said, oh this is what Billy said yesterday and I took note of it. It's so so simple, but I just uh, I, I so respect Billy's leadership and he's a, he's someone in my mind I think of as like uh, A-plus in the gifts of the Spirit, but he's even growing through the simplicity of asking uh, and doing what is described right here. And this is actually ripped right out of Mike Bickle's notes, so uh, I can claim no credit for this. Right He, he actually, he's the one who said the, that you will only walk in the Spirit as much as you talk to the Holy Spirit, and it's really true. So Mike Bickle, Billy Humphrey, and Hazen Stevens, I'm in good company. All right. So, But what does that mean to to get an impression in response, right? As we're trying to be intentional in Spirit's prophetic leading, he'll often answer by giving us these faint impressions. And the metaphor that Mike often uses is he likens it to raising a sail on a breezy day, right? And we see in John 3, Jesus says, like, a man who is born of the Spirit of God is like the wind. We don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it's going. Now, uh, I like the picture. There's several different pictures for the Holy Spirit. John 7:37 describes him as a steady stream, the river of living God that flows in us. So the Holy Spirit is both a steady stream and a gushing gust of wind, right? And so we have to kind of embrace both dynamics. We can have continual communion with the Holy Spirit, have a dimension of his presence and power that we always walk in. But there's also times in which something comes from the Holy Spirit and then it goes and you're like, where did that come from? Right? And that's the principle Uh, that we're talking about here. So we raise our sail by asking, Holy Spirit, what are you doing? What are you saying? And then we observe, okay, this is the impression. This is the picture. This is the sense. This is the leading. And here's a few ways that they come. Um, Mental pictures, a recurring impression or picture in our mind that indicates how the Lord will touch others by imparting his grace or or healing them. Uh, Emotional stirrings, feelings of various emotions like joy, sadness, or a burden for a person or ministry. Those will indicate how the Lord wants to touch others related to an emotion or burden. Sympathetic pains. So feeling a a pain in a specific part of your body, that can be an indicator of uh, what 1 Corinthians 12 calls a word of knowledge, a specific piece of information that is is present uh, in that moment as opposed to future. Um, Usually past or present, words of knowledge tend to work that way. The Lord uh, desires to heal a person of their pain or feeling in that particular part of the body and it's so interesting oh and lastly physical sensations experiencing the lord's presence heat energy fire wind um, in a specific area of our bodies a lot of times uh, as i'm preaching or teaching i'll begin to feel a sensation of heat on a part of my body and i'll know to just linger over a word or to pause over a thought or idea and expound more um, sometimes I'll, I'll feel, and I don't oftentimes talk about those sensations because I, I think they're particular to me and what how I've grown in understanding how God speaks to me. So find as you commune with the Holy Spirit, find the languages that He speaks to you in, right? But I will I feel God's anointing through like a sense of energy in my head or a sense of heat in my hands, and then I'll go immediately to inquiry if I'm unsure of what that means, right? And so I'll go, you know, Lord, what are you saying? What are you doing about this? An unusual manifestation that I've experienced is when sometimes people are talking about their personal destiny, and uh, I will, it'll, like, my vision will change and it'll go into, like, high def. And I'll just be looking at the person, and they will, they're like, it'll be like their face goes forward, and it's very weird to explain. But I'm just giving it as a picture. Is there's these different unusual ways in which God speaks, and I know in that moment to kind of stop and go, Lord, what do you have to say about this? So it'll just be normal, normal, natural conversation, and all of a sudden this thing will start to happen with my vision, and I know to take a moment and ask of the Lord, how can I prophesy or speak into this, right now? And not everything is for the purpose of uh, not everything is for the purpose of action. Sometimes God's just telling you things because He likes you and He's with you. I, I truly, when we were talking about the Holy Spirit earlier in friendship with the Holy Spirit, I just felt the Holy Spirit inside me, just yes, like excited. I felt the excitement of the Holy Spirit. And that's just because he's my friend and he's excited that I'm talking about him. So as we put our sails up and we kind of go, okay, where where are you where are you blowing, Holy Spirit? Sometimes he's blowing a lot harder than we thought he was. Sometimes it's just a gentle, a gentle breeze. But our agreement and declaration with what he shows us is the key that opens. It's like a simple key that opens up a a door, right? Um, And the phrase that I like to say is we give expression to the impression. And God's power is released so often when we give expression to the impression. And if there's no other practical tip that you take away today, take this tip away. God is is speaking to so many of you already. And what faith is, is to actually give expression to what he's speaking. And when you give expression to what he's speaking, that unlocks the realm of the supernatural. Okay, And one of the, the reasons that I feel like I experience a lot of the prophetic is not because uh, not because I'm necessarily more prophetic than anybody else. I feel like I just have faith for the whisper, for the subtle impression. And I realize that sometimes when I'm speaking, I've, I've done a, a seminar before, I was teaching a class actually, and in the uh, portion where I was teaching on words of knowledge, I just felt a, just a, a just a little flinch of pain in my knee, and I just said, someone here is having left knee issues, if that's you, just uh, I feel like the Lord's just saying you're healed, you know, just a, just a simple word like that. I've probably experienced dozens... We did a season of renewal revival here where we had a, several hundred healings. So I would say it's probably upward of, of over a hundred words of knowledge that have accurately been expressed with something transformational. And so in this particular case, this is just the one that comes to mind today, the man in the back of the room leaps up and it, as I had given the word of knowledge, a physical sensation of healing had come into his body. He runs to the front, he drops to his knees, and he starts to he starts to weep. And he goes, when you, the moment, you, and it's only a class of like 15 people, it's a very small class, <laughs> because the moment you said that word, he goes, something happened in my knee and I could not get on my knee, I couldn't get up and down. I'd had a basketball injury, my bone had stuck out from the side of my leg, they put plates and put it all back together, and I'm constantly in pain in my knee. And when you said that, all the pain instantly left, right? And I just remember that because it it was, I was in the flow of teaching, it was something I could have ignored, but because I stopped and gave expression to the impression, something totally miraculous happened. It was like, I lifted the sail up and it was like, (laughs) there was a lot of wind that day, (laughs) okay. And, uh, you know, I don't know why, and we'll talk about this in a moment. Like, that's the odd thing about the gifts of the Spirit is sometimes it's mysterious. And sometimes we're like, oh, I know for sure this one's going to, this is going to be a powerful word of knowledge. We give it, and it's like, wah, wah, wah. I'll tell one, well, I'll wait. I'll I'll wait and tell that story in a minute. So there are usually uh, three elements to receiving a prophetic insight, and this helps us a lot of times also kind of think through um, not leaving our prophetic insight Uh, half-baked, okay? So, Revelation, this is the part that's so exciting. It's the actual raw material received from God. Like, it's cool to just dial down and go, Lord, what's the blessing you want me to give, and who do you want me to give it to? And eventually, you kind of begin to internalize that, and a lot of times, I don't even ask anymore. It's more like I just, because you don't always, like, think it, you aren't always, like, walking around talking to yourself in your head, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. It's like you just... (laughs) think thoughts. You aren't like thinking in phrases and words. So I feel like I've gone from the place of being like, Holy Spirit, what are you saying? Like, I'm not constantly asking that in my mind. I just am am there in that headspace, okay? Unless I'm having a bad day or my kids are loud or whatever. You know, you're not all in that space or that zone all the time. But that's that abiding place where you're in communion with God. You're listening. You're open. You're open to hear His voice. And then it's like when I turn my attention to Him, I told all you guys to go, what's your prophetic blessing? Yeah, you know, I just go, okay, Psalm 12, 123, you know, and then when I was looking at it on my phone, I just saw the one, two, three, and I felt like the Lord said, you know, this is about it being as easy as one, two, three, just look to me, and it all rhymed too, which is just wild, one, two, three, look to me, and then I had the song, and it just got weird, but but very memorable, right? <laughs> you won't forget that, and uh, and so that's just a simple example of there's a revelation, right, and then there's an interpretation. So when I, 1, two, three, I heard, instead of 1, 23, I heard one two three, and I felt like that the impression or the interpretation of, of that word was, um, I'm going to make it easy for people, right? How many of you like it when God says, I'm going to make it easy for you? He's going to make it easy for you. Just look to him, lift your eyes to him, he's going to speak to you. You're going to receive his mercy. So, so you get an interpretation, but then what's so important is the application. What do I do? right? With what you've shown me, what I've understood from it. And um, and that oftentimes is uh, where we get tripped up because it's less exciting because most of us like to hear things, but not actually have to do them, right? And the reality is that the wise man who built his house upon the rock is the one who heard the word of God and did what God said. An unapplied word is as good as, you know, a car without gas. It's like, <laughs> it's not going to get you very far. It's It's your meal still in the plastic wrap, right? And what we have to do is we have to go, okay, Lord, each level is an invitation to intimacy. So you get the revelation, wow, that's really cool. Okay, now what does it mean? All right, and now, Lord, is there anything you want me to do? Is it just to pray? Is it just for the purpose of intimacy? Or is there somebody you want me to share this with? And at each level of how we understand prophecy, it's an invitation into intimacy. Does that make sense? Awesome. So, revelation, interpretation, application. I just want to note another word about discerning God's voice, because I think at all times, there's kind of three voices that we're experiencing internally. Okay, we have the Holy Spirit, we have the mind of Christ, and so we have the thoughts and feelings of God, and they're, and they're coming through our spirit. And I feel like the, the more we fellowship with God, the stronger or, or the more at the surface those impressions uh, are And then there's also the voice of the enemy. He's the prince of the power of the air, and he's constantly broadcasting, right? (laughs) He is sending out messages to us, sometimes through other people, and we have to learn to distinguish what is the voice of God, what is the voice of the enemy. The challenging thing is a lot of times we have our own internal voice, right? And based on the trauma you've experienced in your life or the hardships, you might be more inclined to the voice of the enemy than the voice of God in a particular area. And so you... Tend to sometimes one of the things that's interesting. Just take this as an example: is the book of Isaiah? They said that Isaiah was of the royal court, and he has the most um, the most uh, advanced vocabulary of any of the prophets in the entire Bible. Do you think that's because God spoke more eloquently through Isaiah, or was it because, to some degree, what God was saying was being filtered through a human vessel? Okay, so this is God's, we're not like prophecy robot, like God just says the Lord, you know, that's what angels, (laughs) but even they have names and personality, right, and, um, you know, Angel Mike, Angel Gabe, like, they're real dudes, and, um, and so we want to consider, like, Yes, we prophesy and we we try and be a a pure expression of what God's saying. But at the same time, your emotional engagement, your history, stories from your life. One of my favorite things is when, you know, I'm witnessing to somebody and God will drop a story to share with them. And I know that's a prophetic story and I get to prophesy on the down low. And they'll go, that's so weird because that's exactly what's happening in my life. Right. I'm like, oh, cool. Well, maybe that's because God wanted you to. To know, you know, this situation and that situation. I'll try and think of like a a prophecy story example. Um, good. So revelation, interpretation, application, hearing the, the three voices. And so when we interact with others, there's the added complexity of now. So I, that's my internal world, God's voice, the enemy's voice, and my own human soul. That's kind of filtering the two, and I'm having to, to figure out how to navigate that. But then if I add another person, now... Um, I'm receiving input from you as well, right? So we're kind of listening, like in a ministry situation, I'm essentially listening in four directions. I'm going, What's this person's experience? Because your body language and how we're interacting is telling me something. I'm trying to listen to God. I'm trying not to listen to the devil. And I'm trying not to just speak out of my soul, right? And so that can get very tricky, okay? And it can be so tricky because a lot of times what's happening is that all's happening all at once in a split second, right? <laughs> That's why I want to encourage you that as you're ministering to people, one of the key things is to slow down, at least internally, right? Not to the point of hesitancy or fear or fear of getting it wrong, and, and not to overly um, examine even what you're experiencing. I even will oftentimes tell people to turn their thinker off, which is, I don't know, that's probably dangerous advice, but it works well for me, and... Um, and so but not try to overly rationalize things but but be attuned to what's happening and then what what's happening in my spirit as i'm receiving the revelation that i'm getting right and um and and then as we're more sanctified a lot of times the traffic or the areas where we're prone to hear the voice of the enemy more loudly than the voice of god that gets diminished over time does that make sense i remember god used to speak to me how much he loved me and it was hard for me to hear because I had a negative self-image, right? For some of you, the idea that God loves you, it's something you can rationally accept, but when you quiet yourself to hear God loves you, it's actually an idea you're resistant to. You actually feel uncomfortable when people start to talk about, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well-pleased. And you know, even though rationally that applies to Jesus and God loves you the same as Jesus because Jesus said it in his prayer in John 17, like you know those Bible verses, but yet when God whispers to you, my son, my daughter, I'm pleased with you you go, "Mm, I don't know if that's true. And your experience in the kingdom is based on your faith, right? And you're actually in unbelief concerning God's love to you. And the truth is that God will powerfully use you to minister the love of God to others because he's so merciful and kind. But he doesn't want you to minister his love to others and miss out on it yourself, So just now let's pause real quick. Okay, so I'll pull back the curtain for a moment and just use that as an illustration, right? I did not think about any of that before I said it. That just like came out. Didn't that sound like that was like really well formulated? That was the spirit of prophecy for somebody in this room. That was somebody where where I was speaking there and I realized that shifted from me teaching to the Holy Spirit prophesying, that gift of prophecy, And there was a clarity and a precision to it that's not, that's not me. I'm not, I'm not that good a teacher, (laughs) right? And I, it, it was a, remember how I said God will use an example from your own life and sometimes apply it prophetically to people? So that's just, now what we do is we recognize that and we go, okay, you know, and maybe somebody actually felt the anointing, like they felt that conviction or they felt that presence from God or they felt God in that moment whisper to them, hey, I love you and I'm wanting to say it to you more, Okay. That's what happens when we prophesy. And see, now, even as I'm pausing and kind of double-stitching that point, I just am feeling the love of God so deeply for you in this room. If you've been resistant to God's love and you've come here saying, I want to grow in God's gifts, he's offering you something so much sweeter and so much deeper today. He's offering An invitation into intimacy and right identity that will change not just the way you minister in his gifts, but it'll change everything about your life. Because there's been nothing more transformational than that moment in my life when I said, God, I want you to be my father and I'll be your son. And do you know what it says in Acts chapter 2? It doesn't say the servants will prophesy. It says the sons and daughters will prophesy. That's telling you the identity out of which the new covenant believer is intended to speak. So, Father, I pray right now, whoever that word is for in this room, that it would find its mark. And then we have a lot to learn today. You said the most excellent way is love. So we just place our feet on that path. And we say, God, we want to love others well, but first we've got to learn to be well loved by you. I want to be be more open to your love, God. I acknowledge, I just so often resist it, Lord. But I invite you, love us, God, love us. Pour your love on us in this place, Jesus. Pour your love on me, Lord. I want to place myself under the fountain of your affections. Just be washed in it. I want to be the bride of Ephesians 5, you wash me with the water of the word. If that resonates with you, just say, Jesus, just wash me with your affection, wash me with your words. And just take a moment. Let's pause right now and just attune our hearts to the voice of the Father, the, the booming, thundering voice that says, You are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son. I'm well pleased with you. How do you feel about me? And I would ask the Lord, how do you see me? How do you feel about me? How do you think about me? I felt strange asking that question. But he said, the enemy will accuse you a thousand times a day. He said, I want to speak my affirmation over you 10,000 times. And he says in Psalm 139, my thoughts towards you are more numerous than the grains of sand in the seashore. He has got I have more good thoughts towards you and about your life. Then you have time to hear. There's going to be volumes of my affection and love that will only have time to expound on in eternity. I've loved you with everlasting love. God would continue, if there's some of you that just need to stay where you're at, just feel free to tune me out and stay with the Lord, or even go in the prayer room if you need to, um, but I feel released to move on. So. so now, embracing of mystery. We often dislike mystery because it requires us to release control, <laughs> but that is often exactly what God needs us to surrender in order to use us. So he almost uses mystery as a crowbar to like get us to pry our hands off of things. And God uses mystery to create a submitted and trusting heart. Like I don't know why I'm doing this, but I'm just going to do it. Okay. In faith. Paul in context in 1 Corinthians 14:2, he's he's praying um, explaining explain the priority of edification in the in the gifts. However, he hits on an important truth related to many of the gifts that, that uh, when embraced, will help us navigate operating them. At times, they are mysterious. And I mentioned this earlier. Not only tongues, but many of the gifts. It says 1 Corinthians 14 2, the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. And l- like I said, this is specifically about tongues. But you just think about this principle like God says, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a gift. You're not going to understand what you're saying. And if you don't use your mouth and don't speak, remember we talked about the simple principle, give expression to the impression, give expression to the gifts. If you don't go, you won't be edified. Like you can't do it in your head, right? But if you do it and you sound ridiculous, you're actually going to sound so crazy that don't don't do it in front of people that aren't Christians (laughs) without an interpreter. Because they're going to think you're absurd. They think you're insane. But if you do this silly thing, and I'm actually going to take the silliest gift and make it the first sign that you're full of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to take the most absurd one and put that at the front of the list. Just so you know, if you want to operate in any of them, give up control, right? Like, you don't get to be in charge. And when you do it, you're going to start to feel drunk. Here you go. All right. Gift number one. (laughs) What is going on? And they're like... And, and literally, it's causing immediate mockery to the apostles. You know how I picture it in my mind? Like the moment, Peter, the apostle, he is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Here is the moment. Jesus has been speaking to this moment since his calling. Throw the net on the other side. When he did it, there's a full catch of fish. Peter's probably thinking, this is the moment. This is the catch of fish. The day's come. He stands up. Men of women, Judea, Jerusalem. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. And he, he turns to his team, and his team's like, <laughs> the ministry team, he's having to explain at the outset of his message, the ministry team is not drunk. <laughs> That's because his ministry team was acting drunk. And God says, this is how I birth my church. Holy Spirit, come like you did at Pentecost, but do not make the ministry team drunk and ridiculous. Come as you did in the book of Acts, but please don't make us do anything embarrassing. Because we want to be in control. While we can discern principles concerning the gifts from the scripture or from experience, there's also times when God seemingly defies these principles. So I'm in Africa. We're doing a healing service, okay. I'm standing by this speaker. And at times, don't think I'm too weird, but at times I can feel angelic presence. And so it's like I can tell, I go, I can't see it, but when I look, I go, I I can tell there's an angel there. And I'm standing by this speaker and I'm like, I feel the increased manifest presence of God. It's not because we're doing anything spiritual. And I go, I think there's like a big angel right here. I go, man, people are going to get healed tonight. There's a big angel here. We're in Tororo, Uganda. We go to pray for people, everybody manifests demons. just kids <laughs> slamming themselves on the ground. We are casting demons out of people. It was not what I expected okay and and then we do the time for healing prayer, and no one gets healed. It was apparently a deliverance night, apparently deliverance angel. The healing angel wasn't available. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, okay. The next, like two days later, we go and we do a, a service for for widows. And someone shares a testimony. We we say, if anybody has physical issues, we pray for healing. When we pray for healing, like 90% of the people get healed. There's an old lady who had trouble walking there. And it was just, it was kind of awkward. But it, she's just so excited. She's like 85 year old lady. And she's just jumping up and down. Have you ever seen an old person jump like that? I mean, it's just... It, was, it, it, it left a marked impression. And, um, but it was just so cool. I was like, man, God, you are just mysterious. I remember there was a girl. We'd been contending for healing for her, okay, for her stomach. She had severe stomach issues. She's a girl still in our community. If you know Rachel Keller, you can ask her about it. I think she's okay with me sharing that. She'd had serious digestive issues. We'd been praying for her healing. We're praying for her digestive issues. But in the midst of that, someone gets a word of knowledge about um, feet and arches on feet. Her stomach issue does not get healed, but her arches raise, and there was a creative miracle in her feet. I'm like, why did you heal her feet and not her stomach? <laughs> it was strange. It was really strange, and there have been a number of people that I've just seen God has done one healing one time, but not, not the full package, and he's healed people progressively. You know i've had friends that were healed of diabetes healed of asthma healed of arthritis healed of shin splints healed of all kinds of issues and healed at different times that's why people have a hard time getting into this stuff is because we like to think that god's a healer if he's going to come he's going to heal and manifest healing on people of course he's a compassionate merciful loving god he's going to do the whole thing at one time right not necessarily and we see even in the ministry of jesus and what are all the dynamics human faith Demonic oppression, the power of God, agreement of people. I mean, all those different things, right? And we see even Jesus sometimes had to pray twice for somebody. Why did Jesus have to pray twice? I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. It just says he did. <laughs> he prayed for the guy with the uh, issue of blindness, and, and he said, I see men walking like trees. He prayed for him again, and his full sight was recovered. Why did he have to send the lepers to the pool to wash And then they're healed on the way. Like, why did he do that that way? And then one time he touches the leper and everything's restored and made whole. The one thing that's consistent about the healing ministry of Jesus is he never did it consistently, not once. And then there are other times it says everyone who touched him was healed. And then there's a situation where one woman who touches him is healed while everyone else presses around him. We want to embrace the power of God, but a lot of times the complexity and the surrender and the mystery around it deters us. But when we understand mystery is just a part of the deal, we can just go, God, what are you doing? Submit to it and see what fruit is born. I'll tell you this. You will see 100% more healing if you take your hand out of your pocket and lay it on somebody and pray for it. I've never in my whole life yet seen a person miraculously healed when I looked at them and prayed it in my head. That sounds like a simple principle, but how many of you thought, I'll just pray for them in my head? Come on, let's be honest. How many of you have said, I'm not going to stop and pray for that person in the grocery store. I'll pray for them in my head. God bless them. I pray they be healed sometime. I'm just telling you, if you want to see the power of God, you got to go, excuse me, ma'am, while she's picking up her cabbages or whatever in the vegetable aisle. Maybe that's a word of knowledge for somebody. You're going to heal somebody while you're doing cabbages. If that happens, come back and let me know. They're picking up the cabbages, right? And you go, excuse me, ma'am, can I pray for your leg? Because I feel this impression God wants to, to heal you, right? Like that's how it works. It doesn't work like, Lord, bless her or the cabbage. I've, I've never gotten that testimony, at least not in my experience. But maybe you have more faith than me. So if we can't learn to accept, eventually you can get to the place where you actually even enjoy the mystery that comes with functioning in the gifts. Then we will, uh, if we don't do that, you're not going to enjoy working with the Holy Spirit. Right? This one's a great one, Acts 16. Just read the book of Acts and go, why did you do things that way, Holy Spirit? When they had laid many stripes on them and thrown them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. As they're worshiping and praying in the 11th hour, suddenly there was a great earthquake. My question had been, couldn't we have done the earthquake earlier? Like, couldn't we have done, like, before the beating? Right? Like, you didn't spare us any of the suffering. Like, you waited till we were beaten and bludgeoned and abused, and then you did the miracle. We all want the mighty, we want the miracle to show up in the midst of our ministry, right? But we don't often want the beating that precipitates it. And when we embrace the whole package, we go suffering and glory, because that's how it happens. It all happens. Suffering and glory together. Suffering and glory together, right? Right? We're going to be drunk in the spirit, the glory of God's going to manifest, it's going to be powerful, and then we're going to be drugged before our governmental leaders and commanded not to speak in his name, and our lives are going to be threatened, and we're going to be imprisoned, and then our friend's going to die. Glory and power, glory and power. And part of it is the mystery. Why does Peter get released by the angel and James has to die? I mean, there's the little bit of mystery of like... Why didn't the person get healed? But there's the more profound mysteries. Why did this person get healed of cancer and this one didn't? And sometimes we just have to accept part of the broken, fallen world in which we only see in part and prophesy in part is that we won't know the answers to a lot of those questions until we get to heaven. But will you still serve him? Will you still follow him? And here's the big one. Will you not shy away from operating in his power even though you don't understand the outcome? And I'm telling you, as someone who's done this, pressed into it for 13 years, that is the hardest tension. That is the hardest place, is to pray fervently for a person and then see them pass away, right? And then the the same situation comes back, and and the Lord, and you go, will you pray again? Will you embrace? That's what I mean when I say embrace the mystery. You know, it's the simple version. I prophesy, and you you go, you got it wrong, right? And you did the exact same thing you did last time. Okay, that mystery, and then the intense mystery, like you speak the word, the person gets healed, you do the next one, and they don't. They just, they don't. And God's still inviting you to believe, and still inviting you to pray. We have to embrace mystery, and learn to live in that tension. I give a few more examples, let me see if there's any worth noting. I do like the one mark eight twenty three Jesus hocks a lug in a guy's eyes in order to heal his eyes. Okay that's just gross and weird so it's it's weird to touch somebody's lips. Can we all agree to that? I was at this meeting, and I was so um, full of the Holy Spirit, if you know what I mean. And uh, meaning I was really intoxicated in the Lord, feeling like just weird, like just felt weird, felt as though I was drunk. And um, and I just know I'm supposed to touch my friend's lips. And I walk up, and I'm like, can I touch your lips? <laughs> He's like, bro. <laughs> like, I really feel like I'm supposed to touch your lips. <laughs> Later on, you like try and find Bible verses. like he took a coal and touched his lips. But I didn't have the Bible verses at that moment. I just, I just had the weird impression. And I reach out and I touch his lips. And when I touch his lips, he goes, "Whoa!" He literally physically jumps back just like that. He goes, "Did you feel that?" I go, "No." <laughs> he goes, "When you touched my lips, it was like electricity. It was like someone put electricity on my lips." He goes, that, "That's crazy. What? What was that?" I go, "I don't know." And it was just weird. It was just a weird occurrence, right? The next night, he goes to a Bible study, and when he speaks at this Bible study, the power of God is poured out. The girls and guys have to separate. Everybody's repenting their darkest sexual sins and immorality at this college group. And, and, he, and he, he said, when, when Hazen touched my lips, I didn't even pray for him. I didn't pray for his lips. I touched his lips in obedience, right, to an impression. He said, God imparted something, and this was the result, because I didn't do anything any different than I normally do, okay? Why does God do it that way? Because God's a little weird, I think. But that weirdness produces this thing where he goes, no, it's not me, the awesome preacher. It's the weird obedience to letting my friend touch my lips, which is just weird, right? It's, it's the faith to let Jesus hock a loogie in your eyes, Like, he's like, Jesus, will you heal me? Jesus like, "Eh." and you know he's blind, but he hears that noise. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Spit on his eyes, and he didn't just do, it wasn't just clean spit, he mixed it with mud and made a salve. And then he's like, do you see anything? (laughs) And this is the one where Jesus had to pray twice. So he had to get the double spit anointing. They put on his hands on his eyes again, right? Spit on his eyes, put his hands on him, put his hands on him again, made him look up. And his his eyes were restored and he saw everyone clearly. Do it like you did in the days of old, Lord. (laughs) Okay. Acts 19.11. You know that those miracles were weird when they're described as unusual miracles in the Bible handkerchiefs and aprons. And, you know, we see like kind of a strange charismatic version of this sometimes where people like are selling on TV, like the handkerchief or the apron. But what really is happening here is Paul is working a day job and preaching the gospel house to house. That's what the, the book of Acts tells us. And so what that means is he had been discipled as a tent maker or, or was, a, was a tent maker by trade. And so he's wearing aprons and handkerchiefs that are the things that are physically close to his body. Okay, I just want to paint this picture for you. He's not ministering in an apron somewhere. He's not doing, <laughs> he's not doing the prophecy seminar in an apron. He's he's making tents in an apron, right? But his communion with God is so strong, as he and he says to the Corinthians, you know, I pray in tongues more than you all. So I imagine, you know, instead of whistle while he works, it's like while he works. And he's doing that. He's, I think he's praying in the spirit and he's communing with God as he works. And as he does that, the anointing of God saturates the, the handkerchief that he wipes his head with and saturates the apron that's on his body. And then someone says, hey, can I use your handkerchief real quick to clean my face? And when they wipe their head with his handkerchief, their headache goes away. And they're like, There's something in there. And then they go to their sick relative, and they take Paul's handkerchief with them, and that person gets healed. And somebody else gets healed. And I imagine why it says unusual miracles is I don't think Paul was thinking, let me get the anointing on my handkerchief to produce a healing. I think it happened, like, accidentally out of an overflow of Paul's communion. Just like when Peter's walking past a person in the power of God, his shadow falls on the sick, right? He's not like, okay, let me get you in my shadow, Do you feel better? It wasn't like a ministry technique. It was a weird, mysterious occurrence that happened out of the overflow of their communion with God. Right? And that's why we can't, like, make a method out of the prophetic ministry. It's a person. It's a person, the Holy Spirit sister praise God. I bless you for your faith in the name of Jesus. We just bless this this cloth this right now in the name of Jesus and we just pray Father that uh, it would be anointed of God for healing and for power for salvation and to wipe the sweat off my brow. Praise Jesus. Amen. <laughs> Thank you sister. And I'll I'll get this as sweaty as you want me to and I'll give it back to you. All right. <laughs> Um, so, last thing I'll say, as much as I've said some weird examples in here, mystery does not equal insanity, spooky, or weird, though sometimes weird. We, are, we don't intentionally try and do weird things. What we do is we commune with God, and then when that thing comes up that he's like, this is touch the person's lips, and you're like, that's the last thing I want to do. I do not want to do that. But then you do it, and it produces fruit. Sometimes you sometimes you do it, and it's just weird, but that's okay. <laughs> I remember once, I was early on in my walk with the Lord, and I just felt like... I was like, I want to speak in a language. Has anybody had that thought? I, don't know, I was in a foreign country, and I was like, maybe God will give me a language for this person. So I walked up to a person, and I, and I was like, I tried to speak in what I felt like, it, and they were like, <laughs> and it did not work at all. But hopefully they thought I was just French or something. So, um, yeah. You know, or sometimes you're like, I feel like that person's name is Larry. You're like, Larry? <laughs> well, was the Lord. So the practical in this is we must learn to be supernaturally natural while embracing the mystery and risk of Holy Spirit ministry. Paul concludes his explanation of the administration of the gifts with an admonition for orderliness. Let all things be done decently and in order. We want to dial down emotionally, quiet our souls so we can listen and discern the impressions of the Holy Spirit. When we're praying for people, we want to just tune in. That's the way I describe it. just try and tune in to what the Lord's saying. Try and stay in that place of being tuned in. And this is the opposite. Okay, hear this. This is the opposite of stirring our souls up with fervor when ministering to people. Do not feel pressure to come up with something. Our responsibility is to just be open to the Holy Spirit. Just be the gravy boat. Just be the gravy boat. Amen. Man, I have some great verses on hunger in here, um, and I'm going to encourage you to read those on your own. And I'm going to fast forward just to one section and then do the purely the practical. So page 7, Luke eleven seven. 7. I want to give us just a few minutes for Q&A. We'll probably run a little over. Um. So page 7, point E. This is Jesus giving a parable on prayer, and he says, suppose he calls out from his bedroom. The the story, the picture that he's painted is you have a a, a house, and hospitality was really important in the uh, Near East culture of Jesus, and a friend comes to your house in the middle of the night, and you have nothing to feed him, and you know he's going to be hungry in the morning, and he's hungry from his journey. So you've got a guest there, and it would be incredibly rude for you to not offer something, so the rudeness towards your guests causes you to be, the, the fear of that causes you to be rude towards your neighbor. And it says you go and you just bang on the door of your neighbor, right, and say, I've got a guest. I've got to get some bread for him. If you have any bread, bring it out to me. And it's kind of a cool parable. Jesus says the, the person who, he says, no, it's really inconvenient for me to get up and give you bread right now. I'm in. I'm in bed already. My children are in bed. How many of you have kids? Once your kids are in bed, you're done for the day, right? You're not. They might hear me if I get out of bed, and then they're gonna get up. No, I'm in bed. My wife's in bed. My kids are in bed. You're not getting any bread tonight. Do you know the only reason that guy got bread is because he kept knocking, and the guy who's in bed's like, God, that guy's gonna wake up my kids. <laughs> and it says not because of his friendship. Look at it. Look at the verse. Look at it with me on the notes. Not because of his friendship. This is an important point. Did the man get up to give him bread? But because of, I love what this translation says, his shameless persistence. How much more are we the bride of Christ when we ask? But God says, it's not even because of how much I love you, my son, my daughter, my bride, which is all true. He goes, just make it a matter of shameless persistence. And then he transitions. And he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open. He's saying, ask me to the point that you're asking feels like harassing. Ask me to the point that you're asking feels, it, the, the fancy word is importunity shameless, persistent asking, and if you'll ask in that manner, God says you'll get everything you ask for, because, and then he's contrasting, he goes, in this situation among human relationships, shameless persistence gets you what you want, but how much more I, your father, you know how to give good gifts to your children? If they ask you for bread, you're going to give bread to your kids, not a stone. You're going to give fish to them and not a serpent. You're going to give an egg and not a scorpion. You're not going to give something harmful. That's why we never need to fear asking for the gifts of the Spirit, thinking that we're somehow going to receive some other spirit. Because Jesus says, when you ask for something that's pure and good and holy, your Father will give it to you. How much more will your Father in Heaven give the Holy Spirit, it says in Luke 11, to those who ask Him. You're here because you want to grow in the gift of prophecy right you want to grow in the operation of the spiritual gifts there's no greater nugget that i can give you that first because of your intimacy with god he loves you and then second out of that intimacy if you ask him he'll always give you more like each and every day holy spirit give me more give me more the gift of prophecy give me more love for people give me more holy spirit Give me more. Give me the manna of heaven. Give me the bread of life. Give me more of Christ. Give me more of yourself. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. Give me more. Some of us need to make that request for more, our daily supplication in this season. God, give me more. In the season of renewal and awakening, we would charge people. God has given us a measure, but to whom it's been given, he says, more will be given. To those who've received in the kingdom, God is eager to give more to those who've been faithful. And ultimately, what we're asking for again is not more of his hand, not more of his gifts, though we want his gifts. What it says to ask for is to those who ask, he will give the person, he will give Holy Spirit, more of God indwelling in the outside. More of God overflowing your life. I love Acts chapter 2. They probably have the most powerful outpouring of God's presence and power ever up to that point in history. It gets them in so much trouble that they get dragged before what essentially is the president and the congress of their entire nation. So the most powerful people in their nation. Sometimes we don't grasp what it meant for these foul-mouthed fishermen formerly. These ones whom they're uneducated men to be dragged before the the most uneducated men, Galileans, dragged before the highest court in the entire land, commanded not to speak, threatened. And what they do is they go back into the place of prayer and they ask for more of what got them in trouble in uh, in, in the first place. They say, God, give us more boldness to speak your word And stretch out your hand that signs and wonders would be done in the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And the very place where they assembled was shaken by the power of God. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And they spoke the word of God with boldness. And by chapter 5, Peter's shadow is healing the sick. Because they had been given, and then what they were given, they wanted more of. And within a short period of time, they were just asking because they were desperately hungry, right? Oh, if we could get the hunger of the early church, I believe we'd get the outpouring of the early church. Let's pray. If you want to stand with me, you can. Father, in the name of Jesus, we ask for the Holy Spirit right now. I pray for just even in my own life, a fresh stirring of hunger, God. I pray that you break complacency and dullness off of us, Jesus. And you would release a spirit of awakening, God. We pray right now, Father, for the person, the blessed person of the Holy Spirit. You're so magnificent, Holy Spirit. I honor you as the teacher, the counselor, the comforter, the spirit of grace, the spirit of supplication, the spirit of power and might. Fill this place, God. Not so people think I'm awesome, but so that we can experience your awesome presence, God. More of you right now, Lord. More of you right now, God. More of you right now, God. Release your presence upon people. Those that have never prophesied that they would have a prophetic dream. Lord, those that have never seen a vision that they would be taken in a trans-like state. God, those who have never spoken a word of foretelling prophecy, that they would have a word put in their mouths. Lord, we ask for unusual miracles in the likeness of Paul and Peter. If the Lord is just touching your hands, ask him for more if you... I feel like he's maybe imparting a healing gift to some. I feel like he's touching people's minds and is expanding faith. There have been times when I've been in gatherings and people have prayed and I just know there is a gift of the expansion of faith from just being in, in the atmosphere of a room. Father, we pray for the expansion of faith right now. And right now, God, people's eyes, touch people's eyes, Lord, and ears and I. Was standing in the back of the room, it was funny because I just felt like the Lord told me uh, like a prophetic, little prophetic sign. Where did I put those things? Um, I was looking at the earplugs and I just felt like the Lord said he's going to unplug somebody's ears in this place. Lord, unplug our ears in this place, Lord. I put them in my pocket so I'm going to hold them up. Lord, I pray where people feel like they have earplugs in and your voice is dampened. I just ask right now, Father, in the name of Jesus. It's silly, but I'm going to put them in my ears and I'm going to pull them out. (laughs) We're talking about weird obedience, so I guess the Lord decided to give me a little one today. Just stay with me. (laughs) All right. It's a lot harder to hear myself now. Father, I believe that you told me to just had this impression to put these earplugs in my ears and just to prophesy and declare to people right now that where their ears have been stopped up, that they would begin to begin to hear, Lord, today. That would begin a a new level of healing, a new capacity. And I just, in this moment, just in obedience, I just release as a sign. I just pull these earplugs out of my ear, out of the right ear, out of the left ear, and I just say, people's ears be opened right now in the name of Jesus. Father, and that even people's healing in the na- uh, hearing in the natural would be healed right now in the name of Jesus. Father, any hearing issues in this room, Lord, any, uh, 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 there's a disease that, it's like a ringing in the ear. Lord, if there's any ringing in the ear, I pray that would be healed right now in the name of Jesus, Lord. And we just pray right now, Father, let your people hear. Let your people hear. Let your people hear your voice, even when it's a whisper, Jesus mighty name. Amen. Amen. Good. We're going to take a five minute break and then we're going to come back.